back to the Y Hockey, periodically wondering why Substack thinks we're spam podcast. If we didn't notice this until, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, we didn't notice this until I went to start writing my big, you know, takeaways from the playoffs and what's going to come next, and then I couldn't access the Substack, which maybe we should have looked at that before, because we haven't written on those enough, and then it said, oh no, we're spam, and then this morning Tommy texts me and is like, Hey, no, we mistook you for spam. I think you just haven't written enough there. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's that's hilarious. Good on us for not noticing that until pretty much now. That's under a, that's the a, under the radar. Under the radar, it shows that we haven't done enough with the subs. Low post, low engagement, baby. That's how uh, we fly. That's that's my that's that's our fault, and we'll we'll fix that. I have a thing coming where I'm going to write, you know, my thoughts on what's going on right now and where the Panthers are going to go from here. We'll talk, and I'll, I'll do it. We're going to talk a lot about it in depth, but it, this is a tandem piece, and we're going to do more for the substacks as we go along with the draft coming up and, and players and, and things like that. But that was really hilarious. It's more hilarious to me than a Tampa radio station, a sports talk radio station saying, hey, the Panthers got their Mac on the night before game four. I loved it. You know, I'm going to say this on that story because it's silly and it's stupid and it doesn't matter anymore because the series is over. But hey, if the Panthers needed to try to get their game on to get their game back, I don't care personally. Yeah, Who am it's I to a great, stop them? It's a great story because any way, any way to read it, it's funny to me. Either the, this radio station is just making it up and now that there's other, now there's other hockey writers who are going out saying my porn my not porn my strip club industry sources are also confirming this so now we have these like weird sad men who are claiming that you know this is true i'm not gonna call it sad i'm just gonna call it really funny as a journalist like you you gotta call up this strip club and say hey who showed up here on it's like it's one of those things as a journalist which makes me laugh yeah, and another funny thread about this is like the people who are pissed off about this are the same like old school type of people who love Slapshot, who love the Flyers, who loved, you know, the Edmonton Oilers, who loved all these like high flying, high partying teams. Who uh, did this exact thing all yeah. the time. And, you know, most recently the St. Louis Blues. We had to listen to Gloria because one night they got drunk in Philadelphia. Um, and you know, now, to blow that wasn't a strip team. club. That was just a bar in South Philly. Well, I get it. I mean, still. that's pretty, I don't know if you've ever been to a bar in South Philly. Yes, I but... have. I have been to many. <laughs> I know what they are. Listen, they, I get it it. It, it. it can be a strip club at some times. Oh yeah. Some have you ever Especially... driven by the airport in Philadelphia? What lines that street if it's not car dealers? Listen, at that point, I'm not sure the Philadelphia turf club doesn't have strippers as well and escorts. Oh, my God. I mean, like, We're getting is... off track. We're anyway, getting off track, but I Gloria. And, you know, like, it doesn't matter. Like, they one top-down, people are saying Game 4 was their best game of the series, and that's a shame. So if, so if you want to use that as evidence of it working or not, I guess you can. As I said, they uh, need to get their game on to get their game on. It's okay. Not wrong with it. I mean, like... It, it at least shows that they were trying to do something. I mean, maybe it's not what you would have done and everything, but you can't be like, oh, they don't care about it because it's a time-honored tradition in hockey to do when you actually care about it. With you know, I don't know. Can I can what I make my like point it? that you know the Panthers played really tight in those first three games, so they had to yeah. loosen up somehow. 
Yeah, and and listen, I'm... I, I just... Hold on one but, second. I want to say that the logical extension of this story is next year, cross your fingers, they make a good playoff run, and they need to play really well. We just see a couple Panthers out in Wilton Manors before a game I mean, or a game night. That's that's what we want to see. Wilton Manors is the area that, of the that LGBT trip is community get in weird. Broward County, by the way, if you didn't know that. The, yeah, that trip is going to be weird next year. Well, we'll see how weird it gets. Um, So... Apart from us joking about all these things, we have to joke. It's, a, it's an interesting time because let's start with this. Obviously, I still picked Tampa to win the series. Nobody thought they were going to sweep. I didn't think they were going to sweep them. I thought that they would probably win in much a similar fashion as last year because it's Tampa and they know what they're doing. I, I thought it was going six regardless. And what happened in this series was... A couple of things that I'm going to personally diagnose, whether I'm right is up to you to decide, but I think there are two things that happened here. The first thing that happened is they didn't really learn anything from the Washington series. And what we now know in hindsight about the Washington series is they just brute forced their way through that. They had more talent. They had more speed. The Capitals did everything they could, and they did everything right pretty much. But the Panthers just, in the end, had more talent and were faster and younger, and the Capitals broke down, and that's why they won that series. And, and Tampa, who knew what they were doing and knew how to buckle down when they had to, buckled down, and the Panthers had no ability to break it down. Some of that was Andre Vasilevsky, who went Super Saiyan, and some of it was the Panthers had no idea how to break down what Tampa was doing because they committed to defense in a way that nobody against them has done all year. The second thing I think that happened is that the series last year was also in their heads, but last year, the Panthers, of course, we know in game one came out like a house of fire, played absolutely wild hockey, lost that game. In game three, had to make a crazy comeback and played wild hockey and won. Game four was also a wild game and they lost, but Andre Vasilevsky went Super Saiyan in that game too. And they thought to themselves, perhaps this year, we can't do that again. We're not beating Tampa if we go hog wild because Sam Bennett's going to get suspended. We're going to take stupid penalties, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they overcorrected in the opposite direction, and they played really – the word you used was naive, which I agree with. They also played timid. And the thing that I think was most damning, and we'll talk about coaching in a second, is they played last year – with house money in that series. They knew we're in the playoffs for the first time. We don't have Aaron Ekblad. We're not as deep as Tampa. They're the defending champions. They've got more pressure on them than we have. This year, the two-time defending champions, who got by by the skin of their teeth against Toronto, played with absolutely no pressure and played with house money. And the Panthers were the team that looked like they were not scared, but they were the team that was playing with pressure, and they were gripping their sticks tighter. That is most damning in this series. And I want to hear what you think about my, my two theories here. I mean, I, I think that they are, you know, fine theories, fine narratives. Uh, I think everybody's going to have a different perspective and a different reason of what happened. Um, for me, it, it, it follows the thread that I've been saying all year of the last thing that they needed to do was add the playoff style hockey. You know, they needed to have a backup for if they couldn't dictate their pace in game. They drew, you know, Washington was a lot harder of a 
matchup than we thought it was going to be. So credit to them. Um, they play, like you said, they played it near perfect. And if they got some more puck bounces, they would have won the series. Um, and Florida would have very much been home even earlier. So naive is a great way to put it for me. It, it's more of a coaching issue. It's more of, you know, they didn't do anything to, they knew in the playoffs teams tighten up, they play better defense, they block more shots. You know, it's easier to play in the perimeter. It's harder to get inside. It's harder to get second chances. The power plays harder uh, to execute on, you know, cause teams, you know, matchups matter more, all of this stuff that Florida didn't have to worry about all season. And, and, you know, I kept saying they have to start simulating that in the regular season. They have to start practicing it. They have to do that, you know, and, and they did not. And to me that rests all on brunette and, and the coaching staff, uh, you know, yes, it was a failure of a season and I include it was a failure of a season from Barkov on down. Uh, you know, they did not play great in the playoffs, especially Huberto, especially Uyghur, you know, um, it was the, the, you needed to see more from your stars, but a lot of it is how at no point did you not see more life from Brunette? How was he not taking timeouts? How is he not doing more uh, as the general, as a person who controls a lot of it? You know, he was constantly getting goals against in, in momentum swings and momentum moments because he was getting out. He's putting out bad lines and Cooper was taking advantage of it. So I want to um, start by talking about this failure thing, because and, I think there and, has to be nuance in that discussion. Well, no, 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 no. Let me let me finish. It's a failure in this was an opportunity and they were unprepared for it. They played Tampa last year. They knew Tampa showed them what it took last year. They knew, and, af and after Quinville, they had a chance to get a new coach, that an experienced coach who could have done something. They said, no, we're going to ride it on this. And then, you know, Brunette could have, all, he was a caretaker, and that's all he did. He didn't try to prepare them for the playoff matchups. He wasn't prepared. He didn't react quick enough on the power play. He said it himself. You know, he didn't react quick enough in the series. He, he admitted it. I mean, like, there is a lot of things that he should have done better. There is no energy in, in that lineup, except from a few handful of players. On the bench, late in games. You know, it was ridiculous. Okay. And, I, I agree and, with you 100% you know, so, here. So, so you know, I, I want to see it run back. And if, I don't, I guess if, I need. I would need Brunette to prove to me he he can do he can do what he was he was missing, um, because they're like what is going to be the practice plan for all of next year? Like how are they going to suddenly, you know, Tampa was blocking thirty percent of their shots some games, thir over thirty percent of their shots some games. How how do you respond to that? How do you get to the middle more? How do you get your players to do that? You know, Quinville was able to generate if if there wasn't momentum in a game he could kill the other team's momentum he could get the other he could get his players to change their game and and kill momentum and then build it back up he could inspire them in different ways how is he going to do that that's that's the biggest question of the offseason is what ownership in Zito 
think about Burnett and how they react to this because, I mean, yeah, some of these other guys like Hubert O'Weger might be out the door too, um, and they deserve a lot of blame for it. But the biggest thing you can fix and the easiest thing to fix is, is coaching because it, it has the biggest impact. And that's where, but as far as was it a success in growing the game in Florida? Yes. Should it help the team long term? Yes. Is this going to, you know, is this the start of hopefully continual playoff appearances and winning series more than once uh, in 20 years? Yes. Um, am I answering my question? You're, you're right. Absolutely. I, I, I want to, there's a couple of things here when I talk about failures and we talk about what this season is. And I'm going to make a comparison that's going to mean nothing to 99% of you. There might be two people out here who, you know, me and somebody else who will understand this comparison. But there is a team that I have followed and I covered that reminds me a lot of this Panthers team. And it's the 2015-16 Maryland men's basketball team. Why any of you would compare it to that team, you are would be just as much of a sicko as I am. But let me focus on this for a second here. Why do I think this team reminds me of that? Okay, that team was picked second in the AP poll to start the season. They were as talented a Maryland basketball team as any of us who had followed Maryland basketball had seen in years. Okay? They brought in... In a five-star recruit, Diamond Stone, brought in Rashid Suleiman, former Duke guard. Very interesting when you're a Maryland fan. They still had Melo Trimble. They still had Jake Lehman, NBA player. They had good, yeah. solid players on that team. That was as talented a team as I had seen at Maryland. They had just made the tournament. They probably should have gotten out. The year before, you don't need to go into the Maryland basketball details, but that team was expected to be really good. And they weren't quite as good as we thought they were going to be. They weren't as good in terms of chemistry. They had some ugly losses in conference play. Yeah, they lost to a really bad Minnesota team, and people freaked out. They ended up finishing as the 18th-ranked team in the AP poll. They were a five-seed in the NCAA tournament. They got a break because the four-seed lost, and they made it to the Sweet 16. It was the first time they made it to the Sweet 16 in 13 years. And so that was good, but then they played Kansas, and they lost pretty badly. Kansas didn't win the national title that year, but Kansas was a far better team. So what did we, as Maryland fans, think of that season? And what happened after is different because it's college basketball, it's not the NHL. What did we think of that? There are a lot of Maryland fans who will tell you that season was a failure because they didn't make it to the Final Four, they didn't make it to the Elite Eight because the expectations were higher. I would tell you they still made it to the Sweet 16, they hung a banner, they did something they hadn't done in 13 years, that team was still really, really good even if it wasn't quite as good as we thought, it still won 27 games. And to me, that's what this Panthers team is. Although I think that the regular season was obviously better for this Panthers team. And there was a debate. Was I think it was Merrick and Wyshynski were debating this. And I texted Jeff Merrick about it uh, when they had this debate. Like, what would define success or failure for this team? And I said to myself, the only thing that would really be a failure is not winning a series. And they won a series. Now, the bar was there. You had to do that. And they did that. And what would happen after really would depend on where it went and who they beat. Like, would this feel as empty if the Panthers lost in six as opposed to getting swept? I think the feeling would have been a little different, but it still would have felt pretty empty because this is a, as we talked about on the last show, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You're playing a weakened, in air quotes, turned out it wasn't weakened, version of the Tampa Bay Lightning. They didn't have brain point, but they used that as a challenge, as a motivator, and I think there's something else about Tampa that I want to say 
before we looked at the Panthers. This might be the best team that the league has seen in 40 years. Like, they're, they're only the third team in league history to win 10 straight series. I understand yeah, that that's I, not an excuse, but this team's winning the cup if they keep playing like that. No, I I, they play. But that you have to understand that, like, the, this is the new divisional format the NHL wanted. Oh, You're going to have to... By any stretch so like, of the imagination. You it's have to play your best series the first two series. So you need a coach who's going to be able to get you through that. You need to, you need players who are going to be able to step up and play that. So you know, you need a general you need a front office that can identify that. I don't know why they thought Ben Sherratt was that. You know, we we were we gave them a little blind optimism after the trade and everything, after saying, hey, you know, the, I don't know if we would have done this, but let's, you know, this is what they wanted. Let's see how it's used in the playoffs. You know, we saw what it was in the playoffs. It was, I don't think you Sherratt know, was even that bad, but it wasn't well, what they you, needed. If you swapped him out with Robert Hag, would anything have been different? No, I don't think so. Or Lucas Carlson. No, I don't well, think so. Well, if know, it was Lucas Carlson, it would have been a little different, but... Not not in the way that I, I think but, we, they, they would have wanted. But materially, it wouldn't have changed things. So you 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 paid – you could have – and I'm not saying that means you just don't make a trade for a defenseman or whatever, but maybe there was another defenseman you could have had or why, who identified that as a defense – like who were part of those decision makers? How can they better identify defensemen for next year? Because – and we're going to get to it soon – you know, they have to fill holes while also trading out money, most likely. Yes. Uh, I, I want to get so back to a point on Andrew Burnett because I didn't, I didn't get a chance to say what I thought about it. You are correct about the coaching. And I think that Andrew Burnett, we talked about it earlier in the season. I made the joke that he could just stand there, do nothing, and the team would win because they were on autopilot by the time he took over. We knew before the Quenville situation blew up in October – that they were going to be a playoff team. We knew pretty immediately that was going to happen. So Andrew Burnett, who has barely been a coach, he's got to take over this team that has great expectations and a whole boatload of talent, and he has to find the way to manage that in the trauma of that moment because Joel Quenville did some pretty heinous things he shouldn't have done. And so his plan in the regular season worked. We have the evidence of that. Now... He wanted to lean on that in the playoffs. He thought his team was just going to figure it out. And it was very clear early on that they weren't going to figure it out just on their own because the playoffs are different. And this might be apocryphal, and I shouldn't talk about Joel Quenville in this context because obviously it would never have happened, and I can't think of Joel Quenville now without thinking of Kyle Beach. But would this have been a different series if Joel Quenville was the coach? Yes, 100%. Well, I mean, I think you could use Bar – let's just use Barry Trotz as a stand-in then. Okay. Or, like, or just, you know um, – Mike you know, Sullivan, anybody else. Yeah, Mike Sullivan, let's say even Cassidy even from Gallant. Boston. Even Gerard Gallant, I guess, in this case. Tortorella even. Eh, not Tortorella. No, no, no I think even Tortorella because, I mean, maybe it would have been worse in other ways, but they would have been prepared. They would have not been. They would have been prepared for Tampa. John Tortorella would have been in the locker room saying, "These guys are proving themselves worthy of history." That's what. That's their stated aim. They're not even being shy about it. They're saying, "We want to win three to be to be among one of like the best five teams." Like that's what they're going for. So how are you going to stop that commitment? How are you going to be ready for that? They had a whole year to be ready for that. 
and they weren't. And Tortorella I, would have been having them practice. You know, Tortorella would have never had assist. Would have never only relied on an offense that stretched everybody so far out they couldn't help each other in puck battles. They wouldn't be able to support each other when they'd make a pass and then they'd be under pressure. It'd be harder to complete a pass to get out of pressure because you'd have to make a far pass through multiple op opponents and the guy would be close onto you with his stick on you, taking away your passing angle, deflecting it, tipping it. You know, like, you, they weren't ready for any of that. They looked shocked that they couldn't get to the middle of the ice. They looked shocked that they couldn't just stand around and, and pass through everybody in the middle of the ice. You know, what were they practicing? What were they doing? You know, you know, there are teams that do like, you know, that have one that just turn it on and flip it on. That's because they've already put in the work. You know, it's riding a bicycle to them and Tampa's showing, you know, they're one of the teams that can do it, you know, but it, it just, it, blows my mind that you know top down it looked like the whole team was stunned stunned that they couldn't do anything productive on offense yeah i mean like, like you against were here, you one were here of the on the broadcasts against one of the best goalies of all time against one of the you know headman's one of the is top three defensemen in the league at minimum you know Stamkos is great. Kucherov's great. Like, what were, like, you know, I know we were, we, we said that we thought, you know, the Panthers had had a shot at this, you know, with point and everything, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that didn't mean that they were just going to win. Like, I don't understand. Like, I think it, there's something else that that's came why this, too. And it might be this. I think maybe they thought once the first round was done that it would unlock. They got past the biggest hurdle to them, not the actual biggest hurdle, but the biggest hurdle because they hadn't won anything yet. And winning the series, the way they won that series, how cathartic it was. And they thought probably after that, okay, now it's going to click. No, it doesn't work like that. The series but, get harder as and you then, go along. Especially okay, when you're so playing that, Tampa. That's an excuse for one period, maybe one game. And they weren't and even then, that terrible the first period And then period it's up to one. the coaching staff and leadership and stuff to correct it. But, I mean... Most of those leaders, I mean, Hornquist can shout and scream. Huberto, I mean, Barkov can back check all he wants and, and you know, say, okay, come on, guys, let's do this and everything. But, you know, you, you need, I, I think it has to come more at a team level. And the experience wasn't there. And I think Quinville or a coach with experience like Trotz or anybody would have given them more lessons over the year, more progress and stuff, so they'd be better prepared. So even if they weren't experienced in everything, it would it would they wouldn't have gotten flattened because, you know, it wouldn't have been a shock to them. I, they would have had multiple power play, you know, like Yeah. Yeah, that was that was even, bad. Even if they even if they switched up the people on the power play, they ultimately did the same thing, which was pass up high, try to have high movement. And, you know, in the playoffs, that, they'll, they'll give you that. It's far away from the net. It's a lot easier to block. It's a lot easier for the goalie to save. It's, you know, they have a six, like seven monster in net who maybe gives up a goal in, you know, the end of, towards the end of a series. So, you know, frequently, I, I, I you know, 
you have to play to the cards you're dealt. And right now they're dealt in one of the top, in the, I think, best division in the league, which means you have to play two, you know, like, should they just go for a wild card and get out of the conference? I mean, get out of the division and move to the other one? I don't know, but they have to at least be ready to play playoff hockey. And and I want to start by by making the point, like, Andrew Burnett, again, relied too much on those regular season instincts. He, he took too long to adjust. And obviously the power play was just, they were great on the power play because the things that they could do in the regular season, teams might be more willing to give you that. They're not going to, you know, they might not work as hard, you know, in some of those areas. And the Capitals proved that you can do it. You could shut this thing down, and they did. And again, it got better in game three and four, but by that point, it was already done. Like, you needed it to be better at the back end of the Washington series, so you had confidence going into the Tampa series. And I think what's even funny is, like, I look at the four games in that series, and I go and I say, Tampa was clearly better than them. But I don't even think, like, obviously offensively, they were not very good. But I go and I think, it's not like they were that terrible. It's just that Tampa was so much better at every little thing, and they won moments as they do constantly. You know, they make the plays, and then they can sit back, defend, and they know what they have to do to win in that situation. And that meant the Panthers, the longer it went on, the more frustrated they got, even if they started to pick up their speed, even at if least, they did have some movement in the offensive zone. But, but Toronto was at least prepared for that. Like, they understood they, they that. They were and more, they more prepared that for it. Yeah, they were you know, far more prepared for it. You know, the last year, the Panthers were. were much more prepared for it. And, you know, they had, you know, the coaching staff prepping them. You know, this is what's, you know, they're sitting back, they're looking the po you know, I don't know, like... But, you know, once again, the coaching staff is getting caught out, not making timeouts, you know, throwing the fourth line out against Kucherov with 30 seconds left. I mean, like, there's – what's the hope? I mean, what if that – like, Here's what I will so, say about and, that. And, again, I, I, you can – I'm not going to say Zito – you know, it's unforgivable that Zito didn't hire a coach or whatever. I, I understand, you know – you know, the the room really likes them and all, and all this stuff. And But now I think you have – you left the interim tag on for a reason. So you, you won't if – you, if you do move on from Burnett, given the data, what we just saw in the playoffs, and given the fact that you chose to leave the interim tag on to now for a reason, you know, to evaluate him, it's easy to then – no one, no one's going to really hold it against you. I mean, I think you have free reign to make a decision and improve the club because, you know, the cap is going to be hard. It's going to be hard with the cap. So I want so, to talk about that decision How here. do you get this team ready? How do you try to keep Giroux? How do you try to get this team ready? Here's where I stand on, on Burnett. And I will – I am more of a – I'm not defending how it worked in the playoffs, but I am more of a bring him back – and I'll explain why. You don't have to agree with me. Uh, I no, well, I don't. I don't want you to explain why. I want you to explain to me how he can. How does he get to be a coach good? And how does he, like, how how does he actually improve and become the here's, coach that here's he needs what I think has to happen? Because because he hasn't proved that he's up for the job that's in that's needed. Here's how I think it happens. 
the first thing it starts with, okay, he admitted that he screwed up on the power play. That's, that's part one. The first step to fixing a problem is admitting you have one. And it is those sleepless nights that he's going to have this offseason saying, because he's going to see these games in his head, and he's going to see those moments that we don't know about you know, publicly, but he'll see them privately, and he'll go, what could I have done better here? And maybe it is a call to Joel Quenville, a private call, and he says, hey, what didn't work here? What did I not do? But what can see, we see if you can't have a you're trying to win the cup. You can't have a coach that's leaning on other coaches. You can't have a coach that's learning on the job. Like, I, I just don't think that's acceptable for the, this team and for what they've already put into it uh, and, and for going for it. I, I, I he either has to demonstrate that he is the guy now or he's willing to be the associate coach and bring in a guy who's more experienced because that's the only way it's going to work that to, to win the cup, to actually have a team that is cohesive enough and lucky enough to win the cup. I mean, Bill Zito and the, we're doing this on breakup day and he said, he's not getting into that discussion now. And I think that's wise. Well, Don't yeah, do that in he, this moment, but well, also gotta, because, and I think also part of it might be where I come from is, I remember this franchise making emotional decisions that cost them four years. We already don't have to you know, not, know what you're talking about. It's a different situation now. You are right. But this is a franchise that is caught multiple times making emotional decisions that ended up screwing them in the future. And Bill Zito's not an emotional guy. He's going to do his process. Listen, would I be surprised if they didn't bring him back? No, because I think that there is a reason why they left the interim tag on. You know, and... I think right now, like, that looks like a pretty shrewd move because it means you, you aren't married to him. And the difference between Brunette and all these other coaches that came in, the Mike Sullivans of the world, the Craig Berubis of the world, is because when they came in and they took as interim coaches to Cups, they were both head coaches, you know, and both of them had been, like, cutting their teeth in coaching for a really long time. We think about Andrew Brunette. Andrew Brunette was a front office you know, a pro, whatever he was, director of player personnel in Minnesota. I don't exactly remember yeah. what his role was. He comes to be a coach because Joel Quenville says, hey, I think he could be a good coach. He then, two years later, has to be the interim head coach of this really good team because of, again, Joel Quenville's horrific indiscretions. And he wanted to be a coach, but he didn't cut his teeth in coaching in the same way all these other guys did. Like, and you know? And I think that's kind of proven my point, though, isn't it? I'm just saying that does not necessarily mean he can't get to that level. But But they don't don't need him to get to that level. You know, if he gets to that level in three years, great. But they need somebody who's at that level to start training camp in August. And I think that well, make help start help making decisions in at the you know right after the draft and stuff for free agency. That's. They've got That's time to make that decision. And again, I don't think you're necessarily wrong because you're not. But it's a question for Bill Zito and that front office is how much do you want to, again, like if you bring in another coach, if you bring in Barry Trotz and you come in and you gazump everybody else or you bring in a Claude Julian type, I mean, again, not who I would bring in, but I'm just saying like Claude Julian's won a cup, so – you know, that's what they're going to be thinking about at this point. They're not bringing in, you know, Alain Vigneault at this, you know, something like that. You know, we're talking like that's what you'd have to do if you were going to, you know, bring somebody in. 
to get this to work. I don't. Well, I I, I want someone who has like I don't care if it's somebody who who's won an AHL Calder Cup. Okay. I, I want somebody or, or you know has had a history of going long in the playoffs. Um, I want somebody who understands what it takes to win two, three series in a row, you know, and 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 how to guide a team through that. Whether you know, like Cooper won at every level coming up, and then you know from the beginning, you know Sullivan jumped in, but he had success at the lower levels first. You know, uh, it's not, I'm not saying that it has to be somebody who already has a Stanley Cup ring. I'm not saying it's somebody that already, that has to have got their Stanley Cup ring as a head coach, you know, but it's got it. Like, I don't think Brunette is up to that job. I think that the team, I don't think they quit on him or anything like that. So I hope no one puts those words in my mouth. But no, I don't think that happened. I, I think they just got stunned, and he, there was no way out of that. They started getting more and more despondent because they knew their coach had no moves left. I mean, I, I've, you know, I think when they ha- played for coaches like Gallant and Q, you know, or teams that have coaches like Sullivan and stuff. Guys know that they can keep playing because, you know, like the coach is there, you know, we'll just switch it up. We'll get things going. You know, we'll, you know, there's, there's belief in the coach. There's belief in the systems, but when it's not working out and your coach isn't firing you up, your coach isn't, you know, really making any changes is, is, is losing matchup battles. You're losing games. And you're seeing all these too many men penalties and stuff. I mean, how many times? I I think I counted two or three times. Giroux and Hornquist were speaking very loudly to Burnett and telling him to do something late in games in the in the Tampa Bay series. I just I I I think you know him taking an associate coach and then moving on and getting a head coach. You know, maybe winning one a cup with, with Florida, hopefully, in the next couple of years. And then when it's time, maybe he takes over in Florida or he goes on elsewhere, I think is probably the best decision for him um, if he doesn't just want to stay a head coach. But I think he showed he has a lot more to learn. Uh, and I don't know if it's beneficial for him to just go on a rebuilding team and get slaughtered as a head coach um, somewhere. I don't know. It, it is. It, listen, like I'm not gonna say that this is an easy decision. It's not. It is a hard call because the regular season results speak for themselves, but the playoff results also speak for themselves. And listen, and a lot of it was because, as you said, it was. This was not like there were players in this series or overall in the playoffs that didn't play particularly well. I think that's obvious. But I don't think that this was an overall like, oh, they got sunk by goaltending. You know, which is if you told me Tampa no. was going to sweep them, I would have said, ah, Bobrovsky turned into a pumpkin. No, he was probably the most consistent Panther in the entirety of the 10 postseason games. And yes. to see them get swept. Him and Forsling. Playing, yeah, Forsling was the other one, I would say, was, was definitely the most consistent. And if you had told us beforehand that they were going to get swept, I would have said, no, Bobrovsky's out. And then Spencer Knight's getting shell-shocked, you know, and like – it, this is a this is such a really tough way to lose because you didn't lose because of goaltending, which is what we thought the biggest problem was going to be. You didn't lose because 
you know, you got dramatically outplayed. But you lost because you got outcoached and you got outworked by a team that was smarter, that had more nows, and knew what they were doing and committed to it more than you could. And a team that you should have known that you were going to have to do that against them. And I think, again, the challenge for Tampa, like, good teams always find a way to self-motivate. There's always something to motivate them. Not having Braden Point motivated them to do even more. And that, to me, was something that was really stark, and it's just Andrew Burnett couldn't get that team up to do more. And again, maybe that's because he relied too much on his instincts from the regular season, and maybe that was because, again, the man's been coaching for two and a half years. He has not been a coach for very long. He hasn't, you know, done the grind your teeth, work your way up the ranks thing. And it is a tough decision for Bill Zito. And, and it is a decision that could de- that will define but, this franchise, right. and we'll see where what that decision is, which not, we're not going to hear about it for a, so, a little bit. But it is a key decision going forward, obviously. All right, so we got we got the untouchables. We got we got Knight in net as the untouchable. We got on the back end. To me, Ekblad and Forsling are untouchable. Um, but I would say probably only Forsling, maybe. Well. Uh, but well, I, 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 I don't think, think we should be looking at it in the sense of untouched. Let's start by the look at the larger picture of the roster. And everybody can go to Cap Friendly and we can look at this. And <laughs> we know that the Panthers next year have $4 million in cap space, pretty much. They have $7 million in dead money because of the buyouts for Yandel and also bonus overages. Okay, so they got $4 million in cap space. The first and most likely thing they're going to do is trade or buy out Patrick Hornquist because you can't have a 36 year old in your fourth line. Buy, I don't. I think they can't buy out. No, they can't. They can buy him out. It's not a 35 and over, so they could buy no, him out if they a, wanted to. No move. He has a modified no trade, so they could. They, it's not a no move. It's a modified no trade, so they could buy him out if they wanted to. Now, I, I don't think they want to. I think they'd rather trade him, but we'll see how that works. So he yeah. absolutely is going to be moved. It, it just has to happen. I wish they could bring him back on a league min deal, but they can't. So the other thing that they're going to do is one of Montour, Uyghur, Forsling, or Gudis is going to have to be moved. It's the only other way they can make capital. Well, they can't move Forsling. And I don't think that Forsling's moved. He's the cheapest of the ones they could move, and he's proven to be the most consistent in the last two seasons. Yeah, so I don't think Forsling's going to get moved. At both ends of the ice. Yeah, like Forsling, I don't think is going to get moved. But I'm just saying one of those four would have to be traded. I think Gudis, I think Gudis, and Duclair are very likely candidates to move. I don't know if they move Duclair. I think Gudis is is a very plausible, but that doesn't create. I mean, I think space, that there's. I, think. De- I definitely think that my priority would to try to work to get Claude Giroux in more than some some of these other guys at the forward space. So here's here's what they would have to do. One of the only forwards I thought who I mean obviously everybody could have been better every single player, um, even Bobrovsky. But they, you know, he was one of the few that were I thought going. I didn't think. Yeah, I didn't think he completely dropped in the Tampa series. I think Verhage was probably more hurt than he than the team was leading on. And that's why he didn't look great in the in the in the in the Tampa series. But they also probably hacked away at him. Here, here's the one lineup decision that I and here's two parts about that. I think they really missed Mason Marchment in that Tampa series. Well, I they'll do. miss him next year too. I we're gonna get to that. And because Mason Marchment last year had a really good series against the Lightning because he did things, and Andrew Burnett said he does things that 
the rest of the team doesn't do. And boy, did that show up in the in this Tampa series. And the other thing that I didn't understand is why was Maxine Mammon not in the lineup the whole series? He got in in game three, but it was too late at that point. Like in game in game two, he should have been in because, because you know what Maxine Mammon's going to do with that energy he has. When you have a team that that as deep as Florida needs. It has, and he's even going to be next year, even with all these cap things. There's still going to be a very good and very deep team. You have to have a coach that knows how to manage it, and they didn't have that. That's the reason. Yeah. You know, I mean, I Mammon, mean, Mammon was arguably the best forward in the in game three, and well, he certainly yeah. wasn't. And, and he I, might I have been in game four to, too. I can't wait to the guy who is who is be, who tried to bet me money that Mammon wouldn't get to 200 games in the NHL. Because he sucks. He's he's a he's a he will find I don't himself think he a sucks, role. Man. He, I think he's I think he's good. I think he added yeah. something to this team. He played with energy. He played with reckless abandon. They needed that. Yeah, and I'm not saying he's a star or anything, but he's definitely he a, is a, a national hockey league player. He's a national hockey league player. He should definitely player. hit 200 NHL games played. Oh, he definitely. Uh-huh. So again, Jerusalem UFA. That's a really tricky one, and we'll have to see what they do with cap space. Achari is going to be gone. That's obviously going to happen. Mammon's a UFA, um, Lowstrain is an RFA, Marchment's a UFA, um, all the other guys we've talked about, Haig's a UFA, Lucas Carlson's an RFA, but in the case of Carlson and Lowstrain, they're not going to cost a ton. But to me, where do I think this team needs to truly add? On the blue line, they, they, it's great to have Uyghur, it's great to have Forsling and Montour, but they need a a defenseman that is a la McDonough, Chernak, or Sergachev. They need somebody. They've got the puck movers. They've got the guys who can fly around and move, you know, all over the ice. They've got plenty of those. They need somebody who's going to be an SOB. They need a McDonough type. I'm not saying they need Ryan McDonough, Whoa. but they need a type of defenseman like that who can play up the lineup and can be a prick. You know, like that's the kind of defense no, I think that they need. I don't. Uh, no, I mean, well, because they have. I mean, that's Uyghur when he when he doesn't, but his brain is mush, and and I mean, with my my opinion of Uyghur, unless someone knocks your socks off with the, with the trade deal, you keep them, you let them walk. I agree um, with that a hundred percent, hundred percent. But and, and you know, that's just you know. That's just how it goes. It might be because uh, we're biased because we really like him. And but we have- I mean, at He's cheaper than Mont. He's cheaper than Montour. I mean, That's and correct. he's going to be able to provide you a ton of minutes. He does a lot of different things. He's still a first pair rate defenseman. He's just like, he has a little bit of Yandel in him. And I, I think the investment needs to be in a better defensive coach. Sorry, Ulf, but you I'm know, just I think. I'm going to mention that I think Ulf Samuelson is somebody who's got a. It, it, that might and, be the one. And the again, it, it might not be something that he did or didn't do. It's just that's an area you can improve and get a better coach in there. I think somebody who can, who can keep Uyghur from doing those stupid things. Uyghur, Uyghur things. Yes. And I, I was going to mention Ulf Samuelson, and I think again, he's coached that defense to be what it was. That's really impressive. But I think it's time when, again, you talk about good teams having to be ruthless. Like, they made changes on the coaching staff after last season. Some of them were necessary, obviously, like Kitchen. But, like, they made those changes. You know, they added in Tuomo Rutu. And I think that, you know, every good team will be willing to make changes on a coaching staff. And I think Bill Zito will say, hey, we can find a way to improve in a defensive coaching situation. The other thing that was the penalty kill wasn't good enough. It was fine. But, like... 
in the playoffs, it needed to step up at times. And against Washington, it didn't. And against Tampa, it sunk them early. I mean, it was better by the end of the series. But again, by that point, it was already over. So I think, yeah, changing the defensive coach is something I think they should absolutely look into. And there's absolutely room for them to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, who do so, I want okay. Who do I want back of the decor? Ekblad, Forsling, and Carlson. Weger. Uyghur, and uh, and yeah. Uyghur, yeah, Uyghur, Uyghur as well. So there's there's four D, but one of those four D is a is probably your seventh or sixth. Yeah, Carlson's a seventh defenseman. He can or, play I mean, well I, I, in those maybe spot a little, moments. I think he's a little more in a in a betterly better fine tuned defensive team. Um, mm-hmm. But well, he you was know. he was he was absolutely perfectly fine all year. You know, yeah. as you, I, you mentioned I, earlier, you could bring back Robert Haig on a cheap deal because he's, again, I, perfectly capable in the regular season. That would be fine. But they need to upgrade in that second pair type area with a different kind of defenseman, uh, I think. The problem, is, <laughs> the problem comes to, I mean, yeah, it would be nice, but you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to improve that in somebody who's under the radar or, you know, Figure out a figure out a way to move Bobrovsky or something to get money to afford this type of defenseman because the type of defenseman you're talking about at least costs five or six million dollars. I don't know how you can add that in. Well, I think that there are again, if they move on from Hornquist, which I think they're going to do, and then let's say it's Montour, who would be the one of the four I would move personally, and I agree with you because Montour is a third pair player at even strength, even though I like. Yeah, I mean, I would move him and Gudis to get money. I mean, I could see them doing that, but I I could see why they'd want to keep Gudis in this situation. But again, you're not wrong. But I I think that. Where was he? Where was he? Where Again, was I it? think where was Sam Bennett in these playoffs? Too? You know what I mean? This is like, where I think this is where I think that they were playing timid, and the series last year got so in their heads. To me, but to me, Gudis is the is thirty one. He's the guy who's who's there to start something for the team. He didn't start something. He didn't go after. He didn't really. You know, he had some big hits, but I thought he could have been much, much, much more pronounced, much more involved, much more influential in getting energy into the team and didn't. And for me, that's not worth – for what he just showed me in the playoffs, it's not worth a whole regular season of him, at, even at $2.5 million. I'd rather tack so that if on. if you did get, get rid of both Montour and Gudis, again, this is just a spitballing. It's not yeah, because you have, you have prospects. You have Carlson. You have Hag that you could probably bring back at like – you, you know, maybe at the same rate at one six or oh, even less than that, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I think you can re and you, you have a history of picking guys off waivers and doing well, or picking up guys for, you know, low money and doing well defensively. And, so. and, and I think some of that is not just the cap space issue, but it's also the, they don't have as many assets to trade because they traded all of them for, Reinhardt, which again yeah. was a move that was utterly defensible, and Reinhardt is a player that was obviously great for the team and will be, you know. And I think there's also the debate that people are going to have, like, should they trade it of all those assets for Giroux and Sherratt? Listen, I didn't like trading for Sherratt. I've talked about that, but you had a chance to do something that's once in a lifetime. Be- have a team this stacked. You absolutely yeah. should do that. And listen, I would have traded for other defensemen than Sherratt. We've talked about that. But training for Giroux, Giroux was great. Giroux looked absolutely yeah. reignited. He looked like he liked playing hockey again. And 
if yeah. the Panthers can somehow find a way to bring him back, then you do it. Of course you do it. But that's a really hard thing to do. And like, I don't know it, if they're going to be able to pull that off. Well, I mean, Friedman's already starting to do his, you know, his Dreger impression and, and start dropping the hints that Florida started laying groundwork at least, if not out and out, was trying to trade Bobrovsky during the season uh, and is going to be exploring that in this offseason again. Um, you again, know. I, that's a tough, tough move to make. And the reason why is obviously the, the contract and do they have the assets to make that move? Like, if they can make that trade and not pillage the system, then good on them for doing it. Well, I don't know you if have that's possible. To, you have you got to look least, into it, obviously. You, you have to at least think, okay, uh, his playoffs helps us at least. Um, he looks was yeah. absolutely fine. There was nothing wrong so, with it. That was his, that was his best season in Florida. I don't think we can not, even dispute that. Yeah, I mean he's definitely not worth ten million dollars, but they're definitely not selling him at his lowest point. Uh, they've definitely rehabbed his value before making the trade. Uh, and again, you cannot buy this out. Like this is a no. That's unbuyoutable. Yeah. So. You know, you either have to get him to go back to Russia to play hockey and retire from the NHL, which is probably not going to happen right now, well, given a lot obvious, of things. obvious, obvious reasons. Um, especially since he thinks he can still play in the NHL playoffs. He, you know, if he played terrible and was maybe feeling bad about himself, maybe you could get him to drunkenly sign a piece of paper. I don't know. But, you know, that's not going to be joking, the case. Folks, he's joking. Um, but... So, I, you know, but I think it is doable. But you know, it's can they can they work with Bobrovsky to find a landing spot? Is he going to be open to it? Does he kind of understand? Um, me personally, I think you you even if it means moving a forward that you don't want to, I think it's better to keep Bobrovsky another year while you still have Knight for cheap. Um, because I agree with you. I, I, I really you. don't think it's actually feasible until there's only three years left on his contract. I think then it then it becomes and, a little. And what do we think could happen for 2023-24? This year we had a little pandemic hiccup, but we have Seattle expansion fees. We have very good ratings for the NHL playoffs on ESPN and Turner. The media deals are good. You know, this playoffs have been really quite good. The cap could, like, again, there's a lot of escrow. They say it only goes up a million for 2023-24, but you can also see a world in which it goes up by more than that. So another thing you're hoping for is, I mean, that also might mean rooting for the Maple Leafs, which you can't obviously do in the Atlantic Division. But, hey, <laughs> if you, like, the cap could go up more for 2023-24 than it did for this year. And that's something like, let's say the situation gets better and the cap goes up. You've got an if, NHL outdoor game, if at you want, Park, for instance. If you want hey, the cap to go up, it's the Rangers, Oilers, Stanley Cup. Probably that. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but it's true. But like, that is like, I agree with you. I don't think they can move Bobrovsky because the cap is too tight. Like, where are you going to trade him to that's going to make sense? That's that gonna he's be able going to, to want to that go he's going to want to go to. There isn't anybody. I think, yeah. I mean, there, there's nobody. Like the only one I could even conceivably see it possibly happening is Detroit, 
But Steve Eiserman would have you over a barrel if you did that. So it's probably uh, not worth it. Dallas? They don't have the cap space because they got to sign Robertson and Hintz and Ottinger. And Ottinger had to, obviously was sick, went sickle mode in, in the first round. So that's not going to work. Like, there isn't really anywhere where you could make that happen with cap reasonable Nah, they wouldn't do the Sorokin. They, they're fine. You know, like, the, like you could conceivably be seeing them saying, hey, Buffalo, you need a goalie. Maybe we can work on a retain or something like that. But would he go play in Buffalo? I doubt it. You know, like, that's the kind of stuff. New Jersey, but you'd, again, you'd have to retain. You'd have to do some crazy things. Would he want to play for the Devils? I don't know. You know, like, these are, these are the kind of moves that you can make. You can't move them anywhere else. I mean, you're yeah. not going to be able to move them to Edmonton. You know, yeah. like Mike Smith and, has turned back the clock, so like, and I and I think what you do is you give them another year going for it with the core guys and everything. You make them happy, but you you give them the realistic thing of you know you're competing for starts with Knight again. You know, because um, he'll be 22. He'll be you know. He's he's been around the system now with enough time and enough games that you could say reasonably next year I expect Spencer Knight to start game one yeah. if they make and, the playoffs. And and then you know by the year after it's you know Spencer's probably starting like yeah you know and no, then you, you know are, you are, he'll, you are he'll, correct he'll, in this and you then he has more motivation and then he has more time to adjust and see it happening and he'll have more motivation to probably leave as well. This and is, he'll, you, I, I 100% agree with you, and I'm glad we're on the same page for this. But once, we've always been on the same page. I know we get criticism for our Bobrovsky takes, and we have for because since he got here. Once you, once he gets upset with you, or wants to get, like hold it against you, you, you can't, you can't make him sit through his contract. Like you, like, and it could get that bad. So I think this is not the off season to risk it going bad yeah i i i agree like listen it's now it, again have... if you if you you feel it out in the exit interviews and if he's open you know i don't know if you if you get a really good deal maybe you go to him and say hey i have to come to you with this deal what do you think you know i i agree with you we have always agreed on Bobrovsky takes that's an area where i think we have the most you know we're the most simpatico when it comes to how we view this roster because I, I and I think all of your points are correct. I think that Bobrovsky, yeah. if you get a deal that doesn't pillage your system, you have to look into it because 10 million free dollars with Spencer Knight on the ELC means there's a lot of stuff you can do. There's a lot of creative things you could conceivably do. There's nothing wrong with looking into it, but I don't think there's a deal out there that's going to work for you. I just don't think there is because if you do, you're trading prospects and people Yo, you have. What if he goes back to Philadelphia because they're trying to quickly retool? I mean, again, give, how funny would that be? But again, do you really think that's feasible? I don't think that's feasible. We would have to take like Van Reems like back or something. Yeah, and I again, I think which would give us cap space, it and would, then maybe we could would. flip. Maybe we and then I think Zito could work more with flipping, work his magic more with flipping JVR. Then, oh, you're, you're right about so it. So maybe but, it's just something like that. I don't know. I'm just trying to think out, out the air. Because... Yeah, like, as I said, I think the three most likely places, if you could even consider doing it, would be Detroit, Buffalo, and New Jersey because they all need goalies and they all have cap space, but you'd have to retain and you'd have some really complex cap math and players being traded. I don't think that that's going to work. But it's, Ducks it's, if again, Gibson doesn't come back. I mean, yeah, but if Gibson's demanding a trade, 
then the Ducks are like, okay, no, we've got to still retool for longer. Bobrovsky's not going to want to go out to a place where you've got to retool for longer, I don't think. Yeah. I think the, the man's going to want to win. a decent place for him to win. I mean, oh, well, it would be more expensive. I mean, they're Florida, not going to be like, bad enough where he's still going to get probably the same amount of kicks at the can because the Pacific's garbage. So. Well, I think the Pacific's – I mean, the Kings are going to be better. You know Vegas isn't going to be as terrible as they – well, I think Vegas is going to be – I'm the guy who said two years ago it's going to get worse and worse every year because they're going to keep pushing in a direction that's not going anymore. They're going to – they're going to be very much like the Flyers. <laughs> well, they are They are kind of the old school Flyers in that regard. Um, but I think yeah. the Kings are going to be better. I think the Canucks are going to be better. You've got Edmonton and Calgary. I mean, it's not going to be as bad as we think. But hopefully I, listen, Florida Panthers are better. I, I Well, here's – and so if we're looking at forwards now, because we haven't talked about the forwards yet um, – I, as we said, I think Hornquist is the move they make. I don't think they're. I think you got to move two. I think you got to move two. You got to move two D and two forwards just to to have cap space to bring back Giroux and to add in that defenseman you want. I think that it's, it would be a really hard. Dis- like, I don't think they're moving Huberto. I don't think they can do that. I don't think they. Want I mean, to do I don't. That. I mean, I think it comes down to Bennett or Duclair. The thing with Anthony Duclair is, and he had a really rough postseason. He had a goal in the first game against Tampa, but he got scratched again. He he really found it rough in the postseason. That sucks because I love Anthony Duclair. I think he had yeah. an amazing season, mm-hmm. and I think he's found a home in Florida. I think the organization and him are on the same wavelength, and he's bounced around too many teams. I think so. I think so too. But as soon as you become a playoff scratch, you're immediately more expendable when your team loses that gets swept that playoff series. I mean, they gotta have to look. Bill Zito, we know because we've seen it in the reporting that is done by every NHL reporter, and we know it because this is his personality. He looks into everything. He doesn't do everything, but he looks into it, and he's willing to take a risk. So I mean, if he can do it with, I, I mean, if he can do it. All without moving Declare or Bennett, that'd be great. But I'm not. I would. T- I'm not going to. I wouldn't prioritize Declare over Giroux. Right. I now. I think that that is going to be one Stop, of the tougher. But I wouldn't. Yeah. These these are going to be really hard decisions because they have to be. When you lose in the playoffs, regardless, they're hard decisions. When you lose the way they did. They're hard decisions, and I'm glad that in the yeah, and maybe Giroud doesn't want to come back, and then it becomes a non-issue, and then trading I, I Judas think... and Montour gets you that defenseman and, and, and Hornquist and Hornquist, and I think that listen, I'd like Claude Giroud back. I think he wants to come. I think he really liked playing with the Panthers. I think it, again, it rejuvenated him. It gave him energy. Yeah. But I mean, like, would you t- would if would you trade Duclair for let you keep Marchman too? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if it. Okay. I mean, like, where's Duclair on the? I mean, like, if, if Marchman's saying I will sign, I will sign for Duclair's deal. Give me Duclair's deal. That again, these are hard decisions because I think I Anthony know. Duclair is. I wouldn't obviously do that. really good. I wouldn't because Marchman is a guy that hasn't need, stayed healthy. If he if Marchman says you know give me a Charis deal of one six 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 whatever for two years or something or three years. Maybe, uh, maybe I think that I think that would be reasonable. Yeah. The thing with Marchment that I I think we all love his game. He's emerged in a way that obviously has been but if positive. You, 
if you think that was some of the missing sauce, or if you if you're running it back with Brunette, then you might have to give him the like. If that's the coach's, if that's the coach's guy, guy that gets the energy going and everything, and the guy that he knows he can stir the drink different ways and you know offensively, defensively on both special teams, whatever, then you have to give it to him. And then, you know, then it becomes, well, you know, that's a whole different thing. Whether you, but I think that every, even, find whether, you get a trot, whether you get a trots or whoever, there's going to be different, you know, Needs. concessions you have to give to a coach. Yeah. But I, I, on the Marshmitt discussion, because I think you and I both agree that they really did miss him in the games against the Lightning. They needed somebody like that. I think you can find a guy like Mason Marchment out there, you might not get but, Mason Marchment. But the thing is, I mean, if you go out and get somebody like Mason Marchment and bring him in, they're probably at least coming at one six or two million at a cap hit. Yeah. Yeah. So then I mean, at that point you might as well bring in Mason Marchment who's in the age profile and already fits in with your group and everything. You might as well keep him if you can convince him to stay. You know, so it's it's. I, I it's a hard decision because, as you said, Marchment has an injury history. He is not healthy so consistently. But I mean, he's how, a guy how that much obviously do they need. How much cap space do they? Okay, so if I mean, they in this let's, in this exercise, if they trade Hornquist, which they're going to do, if they get rid of I let's just say Montour because I only think they're going to get rid of one. But let's just say that that's it. So if they get rid of Mon, uh, uh, excuse me. If they get rid of Montour and Hornquist, that adds 8.8 million of cap space. That would give them up to 12 million, where they'd have to get a defenseman, a forward, maybe March two. And March. Well, could you do all and like Mammon? Mammon's another tricky one, although I don't think that's well, going to be as tricky because I don't know if he wants to play many other places. And they gave him 9.75. Could they do it? Yeah, I think they could do it. If you trade Gudis, you add you get up to fourteen million. You would need more space for those defensemen, though. He's been willing to sign like value contracts, though. Obviously, like Forsling's contract is a bargain. Uyghur, for what he is capable of, is a bargain. You know, like he's been willing to to look into those deals and find them. And I think for the production they got from you know uh, Anthony Duclair, three million is a bargain. Like they have a scouting yeah. staff that has already proven that they can find players. And, again, I think Mammon was already a guy they knew about because he was in their system, but, you know, they developed Mason Marchman even if he was acquired under a previous regime. They found a way to get the best out of Brandon Montour. They found a way to get a best out of Lucas Carlson. Like, they can do this, right? And they even turned Ryan Lomberg into somebody who was reasonable. So they can do this, and I don't think the answer is necessarily staring us in, in the face. Like, last year when they traded for Sam Reinhart. You know, we thought that it was conceivable they'd make a move like that, but I didn't think we necessarily thought it would be him, and Reinhardt had an amazing season. So it is incumbent on that staff and that process that they have built to say, this is what we need in terms of a specific thing of forwards. They don't need to scout Claude Giroux. They need to work that into their cat math and decide if that's something they want to do. It's something that they can do. They need to figure out a way to scout defensemen and say, this is the quality we didn't have against Tampa and this is the kind of defenseman we need, and this is the guy we're going to go get, and we're going to go get him. Like, the thing that's going to be tricky when you're talking about trades is they don't have a first-round pick till 2025, and they probably want to save that for the trade deadline next year. Um, they don't have a 
crazy amount of prospects. They're not trading Lundell and Knight. Denisenko, I don't know about the value he has. And I, again, Sam Miscavige might be somebody they need for a trade deadline acquisition next year. So it is a difficult, it is no, a difficult call. Here, here's what I'll say. Don't, don't hold people for the trade deadline if you can improve now. Period. I agree with you. I agree with you. But I'm just saying like, this so is also a question I, in their process. Because, I mean, there's not going to be another Giroux out there. And that was, I mean, if you take Giroux out of the trade deadline acquisitions, I mean, as much as we say we don't regret them, go for it, and we have them go for it again, they won a series, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it's not something that I want them to do a lot, and it, I wouldn't do, I would prefer that they make their moves in the offseason when prices are lower than hold guys because, um, you know, those prospects aren't going to get you nearly as much at the trade deadline than what they're going to get you or afford you to do in the offseason. No, because, like, Sam yeah, Miscavige yeah. is a good – well, no, well, I'm, you're, well I'm, I mean, it's, my that... point is the, the – you know, what if Sam Miscavige allows you to bring somebody back onto the team that you need or like or – you know, allows you to, um, you know, bring in that defenseman we're talking about and have him in the system working with the team all year, that's way more valuable than getting a lower quality players because those are what's available in the at the trade deadline usually, you know, for a small-time rental, short-term rental, or what it would be, you know, applied to at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I don't think that that's wrong in any way. I think that it's, 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 it's a, that's what we're talking about. It's a tricky decision. This is, this is a different universe that the Panthers now find themselves in because they're now making moves on margins, and they're now making moves that good teams have to make because you've got to be ruthless when you're up there if you want to win the Cup. And they have to believe in their own abilities to get the players in that they need to. And we've talked about this already. You know, they have most of their moves. I mean, the Sherratt move is probably the worst move that they have made as a front office. And even then, I don't think it was bad because Sherratt was not bad. But obviously, he didn't elevate them in the way I think they hoped he would elevate them. But if that's the worst move you're making, then that's a pretty high floor you've got. And your and your ceiling is Sam Bennett. Your ceiling is getting Duclair and all these other players off the scrap heap. You know, they can do this. I think of any Panthers front office, obviously of the ones we've followed, but in the history of the team and in the league right now, you would say that Bill Zito has, and the front office he's built, has the ability to go out and get these players and make these moves. It's We might not be able to see it right now because we're in the midst of the fog after you lose a series, and particularly the way that that happens. But they, they have to be willing to make that move because that's the difference. They went from being a bad team in pre-Zito to a good team. This year they went to a great team. And now the next step is a great playoff team. And that's the hardest step of all to take. And you saw how hard it is for a bunch of teams. Tampa, it took them getting swept by Columbus to figure it out. And since then they've become a destroyer of worlds. You know, those are the kinds of decisions that they now have to make. And you saw what Tampa had to do to get there. You know, and I'm not saying they need to find Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodger or Brandon Hagel or something like that, because that's not necessarily because Tampa situation is different. But they need to make that kind of move now, particularly not at the trade deadline. I think that would be advisable. But we'll, but 
do you have the faith that they can do it? I think is the question. Do I have the faith that they I, can do it? Yes. It depends on. I want to see what how they handle the coaching. I mean, that's going to go a long way. But I, I mean, really, it's going to be. It's a long time until I can get that answer. I mean, yeah, we're not going to get the answer for weeks. Part of the part of the failure of this is now we have to wait until you know whatever they say is all lip service you know like whatever they're talking about it move out day and all this stuff all these quotes i don't care it doesn't they're close. They're, they, they don't mean anything what are they supposed really. to say i don't want brunette to come back he sucks i thought you know i thought i gave my best but a couple of my teammates sucked uh, i hate it here you know we you know blah 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 you suck that question's stupid i mean like what do you want them to say so you know you're not really getting anything out of it what's going to be telling is who shows up at training camp who's there to run training camp how is training camp how's the energy how do they start can they match a good start like they had this year can they continue it are they are they starting to add the elements that we saw were missing you know did what moves was zito able to do you know the cap gymnastics all of that you know and then ultimately when they get to the playoffs next year, are they going to be ready? And, and you know, until... Barring some sort of Vegas-like like, collapse where they don't make the playoffs, which it's the Panthers, anything's possible, and I hope it doesn't yeah, happen. I mean, but, like, if they get there and they'll be a favorite to get there, have they proven that they learned their lessons? Because now they got two of these. Yeah, it's not like if belt. they go out and hire a Barry Trotz or somebody that I think, you know, meets my standards or, you know, meets the standards that needed i'm going to be like oh yeah they did it you know everything's going to be better it's still you know did they hire the right guy well it depends if barry trotz might happen. Not work with the kind of group they have you know does everybody yeah. want to buy into a barry trotz defensive system when you've got a team of guys yeah, that and, fly and, all over the place i don't know and ultimately we know that they can have a coach that they do well within the regular season, but maybe isn't fit for the playoffs or isn't ready for that moment right now. So, I mean, like there's a, a ton of things. And they got to, they got to work on yeah. that. And that, those exit interviews got to be not... interesting for them because like, cause I, and I think this is a thought we all have. The Panthers have cycled through coaches. Like we cycle through shirts. Like, they go through a bunch of them. A lot of them were bad hires that burnt out quickly. They wouldn't have fired Quenville if Quenville wasn't a gigantic idiot, you know, when it came to what happened in 2010. But they fired a lot of coaches. Barkov's had, like, what, eight since he's been here? You know, it's one of those things where he's got to take the temperature of the room. And one of the things I think that Bill Zito's really good at as we start to wrap this up is he has an ability to work with people and know what the people aspect of this needs right we've heard it in the front office and the way he works in the front office with you know the the traditional hockey men and then somebody like Sonny Mehta he's built a good front office in that way I think Bill Zito's been really good at the people aspect and so he has to understand what is the temperature of that dressing room when it comes to the people aspect and that's a really important part of this like is he going to Barkoff and some of these other players and he's he talking with them about okay what do you think we need it's not like he's gonna bend over backwards for them you know and making that decision that's his and his alone but is he going to get the pulse of the people decision right like I don't know if people decision is the best term to put it but like 
how they work with one another. Like, is that something, you know, if you're interested in Barry Trotz, are players going to be wanting to do that defensive type thing? I don't know. It's something that Bill Zito's got to work out, and he's got to figure it out and balance all those considerations. But that's what being an NHL general manager is like, and that's what being an NHL GM at the very highest level, which the Panthers are aspiring to be, that is what they have to do. And I think, to me, that is a decision that is going to be very telling, but it's a decision that they are going to have to work really hard at making because it's going to be difficult. Um, I Quickly, before we start to talk about the rest of the playoffs briefly, uh, in terms of the hot takes that we have seen, I have not looked on Twitter very much during these uh, recent days. For yeah, and hopefully we just... Terrible. Um, but in terms of the hot takes... You've told me about some of the uh, the uh, the takes that have been flying around out there. Uh, for, I've seen a lot of coaching ones, and that's fair because the coaching yeah. is a legitimate argument. I've seen a lot of take. fair takes that, you know, some might say are too harsh or too critical and, like, you know, we need to trade so-and-so or whatever, even if their logic is, like, yes, they were bad and, you know, coaching. Like, some might say, you know, that's too harsh or too much of a hot take, but it's somewhat fair given how playoffs... I mean, I, I don't think that, like, I think trading Huberto and Uyghur, for instance, would be really, really dumb, but I understand, like, there is a nexus of argument that would make sense to me, even if I wouldn't do it. Um, yeah. The only yeah, hot take you told me that the you saw, and I don't know how, how much of it, I don't know how much this has actually been going around, is the... Oh, enough. The, Strip Barkoff of the captaincy, I think, is that, what you told that, me. I mean, that is a that that is a hot take. That's a and hot take. Listen, listen, I understand it. You're hurting, and you just want to hurt somebody too. And Barkov let you down. He should have been the best player. He should have taken over a game at least, if not a period or something. You know, he had to take over, and he didn't. I'm disappointed in him too. I'm his biggest fan. I'm disappointed. It sucks. But you know what's not going to make him better as a Florida Panther? Taking the C off his jersey. How does that make him better? How is that going to, like, improve things? Are you going to trade Barkov then? Who's the next captain that comes in? Like, I don't understand how that makes it better. Uh, so, and, and at the end of the day, if Stam, you know, he had one bad, you know, one bad playoff. Stamkos has had a few bad playoffs, and now he's being heralded as a Iserman type, uh, you know, type leader. G- give this a chance, all right? If he wilts again next playoffs, then yeah, I might not be able to defend defend this these types of things like and call them hot takes and everything. But you know, look at his stats in most playoff years when. You know, consider that the Panthers aren't like most teams that were scoring five or something goals like every other team in the playoffs. You know, Barkov had a decent, you know, it's not choke. You look at his stat line, it's not a choking stat line. It's just a good, good, good enough stat line, maybe. I think but, he you got know, better as the series went on against Washington and Tampa shut him down. And like, regardless of whether he's hurt or not i i i think there's something there and he's just never going to say he's hurt but you know let's just take him at face value and say he's not hurt whatever it doesn't matter he needs to look at himself and challenge him himself and everything but again i don't get how the team is improved the uh, i mean that's an that's a, such a negative uh lash out type of reaction that like happened in 2016 that would kind of have that same downstream effect of like setting the franchise back um 
you, you know, if you want to bring in, uh, you know, some better leadership and stuff and be like, all right, Joe Thorin, whatever, you know, that's good and everything. Hornquist is good, but you know, let's, let's, you know, let's give Giroux an A and give Giroux more of a voice or something. Cause that's, you know, that's that North American loud pushing people, fighting people, guy they want. So, you know, fine. You, you know, you could do that too. Um, I, Cause I think a little bit is about like people, just don't, like, People kept saying, well, Barkov's not going out there throwing big hits. Barkov was going out there throwing big hits, but he doesn't, like, throw them in, like, the obvious w- way. But, like, when he started a couple of those games in the in the Tampa series, he threw one or two hits on the forecheck, and it was a big thunder against the boards and stuff because he's a heavy guy, and it was a heavy hit into the guy. But, you know, it just didn't you know, it's not like a, oh, Ovechkin big hit. And he's never going to be that guy. And that's like the one thing he's not going to be. But he did, I think he did everything but shoot enough to score. And I, I, you know, I I don't, I think he had a couple chances. He had a couple posts. And if a couple of his posts went in, I don't think anybody would really be talking about Barkov in this way. Um, so the Hero I, criticism is is more legitimate. Oh, like I think that, yeah. that 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 was like, and that was surprising and, to me because he had a really good series against Tampa last year, and he struggled this postseason. And I don't know what it was, but sometimes that happens. Like sometimes you struggle well, in the postseason because I mean, it's the postseason. And none of his linemen looked really good nope. either. I mean, nope. so I mean Bennett and Duclair were but, the biggest of the strugglers in that entire postseason. And I and again, here's what happened with Huberdeau. He literally did not move his feet. He kept doing the glide. He kept doing the pull-up. He kept doing the spinorama. He kept doing the thing where he just opens up his pivot and just, like, kind of puts his butt to the net, you know, like, and just stand there and then try to make a pass. Like, he, whatever was wrong with him, he, injury in his head, he just did not alter or change his game. And the game he was trying is something that doesn't really even work in the regular season much. So, I, you know, it's not how he played. It's not how he is. Um, Huberto is a very fiery, competitive personality. I didn't see that much in him. I saw a couple of frustration penalties, which is classic Huberto. But I didn't see him as much firing up guys. Like One, one of the things that I was surprised by was, like, Sam Bennett scored in the first game of the playoffs. And I'm like, ah, playoff Sam Bennett. Here we go. And then crickets. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, but like, that's what that's what I'm saying. You have a lot of guys who are more feisty, who do have more energy, and they were zapped of energy. Yeah. Why? That has to be looked at, and that has to go back to coaching because they run the team. Mm. And you know, and it, when it, when it's multiple guys on the team, I mean, who who were are good hockey players and playing well and gel and I mean, score again, and everything. All of them I had career years. All of them were awesome in the regular season. So and in the I case think, of last year, Huberto and Bennett were – I mean, Sam Bennett did Sam Bennett things, but they were both great in the playoffs so last I, year. I mean, yeah, and it, and it's more likely coaching than missing Mason Marchman. Or, you know, like it's more likely that than the fact that Barkov's a bad captain. Like, Yeah. No, I, and, listen, coaching was the biggest sin in this in this postseason. You, and, and that, I don't think, is even in dispute. And I and I think we we get to critic like criticizing players is the easier thing to do, in some ways than criticizing the coaching. But to me, like the coach has got to spark that, you know. Like 
And the fact that they came out timid in the first couple games against the Capitals was just, I mean, again, like that, that's a coaching thing. Like that's the players are there. Do you not think the players didn't want to beat Tampa? They are sick right now. I think all of them are pissed. Like Barkov's comments after game four, I've never heard him talk like that before and how pissed he was. You know, that stuff is out there because these guys want to win. These are highly competitive athletes. They're doing everything they can to win the Stanley Cup. Some of them have won it already. Some of them had, all of them have different motivations, but all of them wanted to win it. Like they, they, they aren't, they didn't quit. They just got out, they got outmaneuvered and they were frustrated because that hadn't happened to them in the regular season. And you know, Tampa, as we talked about, they had a myriad of bad playoff failures before they got to this point. They made the final 2015, but then in like 2016 and 18, they lost badly in game sevens. They had chances to clinch those series and they didn't do it. And then you saw what happened in 2019, but they used that as the definitive motivator. And now look at them. I think they're winning three straight cups. I don't think anybody's beating them. You know, I also go back to another college basketball analogy, bringing it back. Virginia in 2018, first 16 seed ever lose to a one. They got embarrassed. And the next year they went out and won the national title. These things can be motivators. And I think it's an entire organizational motivation now. They saw what Tampa did to them. And I'm not rooting for Tampa to win three straight cups because it makes the Panthers look better. No, none of us are going to do that. I think some of us thinking it's going to happen because we think it's going to happen now. But they got to use that as motivation. They know they're good enough to win. They have the ability to do it. They, you don't win all the way they did. You don't get 122 points in the regular season if you're a bad hockey team. But they need to find a way to figure that out going forward. I think they have the ability to do it. It's just now, are they willing to do all the extra things that all winning teams are willing to do? And we're not necessarily going to know that in the regular season. We might see it at spurts. But what's really interesting now from a, a psychology of the fan base perspective is the regular seasons, the last couple of years, were really fun. Because in 2021, they got good. It was a surprise that they were as good as they were. They played with house money in the playoffs. This year, I didn't think that they were a, necessarily a regular season doesn't matter team. But it eventually, it got so much fun because of all the crazy stuff they were doing and the scoring nine goals and the four goal cup. Like, all that was fun, right? It was, watching games was entertaining as hell. Now, none of that's going to be back in 2022-23 because everything matters in the playoffs. In many ways, they're now like Toronto, where they could have an amazing regular season, but it would not matter in the slightest if the playoffs yes. don't, if don't meet. And that's going to be different from a fan perspective a watching the team perspective and and how we cover them because now you're going to look at the regular season you're going to go oh if they win eight in a row i'm like okay great but and and the thing that trying things in the ways you can in the regular season and the thing that toronto just needs to do is keep look at upgrading toronto they're staying the course too i mean the one regret is i mean i think their gm is probably maybe made some mistakes like i don't know what that morgan riley deal is but that's going to hurt them because you know i think they brought in some good d but they're a bit older and everything they have some good young d but they're not getting played because some worse d are so if they can just can yeah if they can just keep improving that and get you know a goalie maybe they take Bobrovsky off our hands um, yeah that's not happening another 10 million we can get take john Tavares off theirs 
That would be the most amazing trade I've ever seen. Tavares for Bobrovsky. That would be crazy. I, that would be... The, the hockey Twitter would break more than it broke on the uh, it was one for one. You know, Hall for Larson, Stamkos, and Subban, and Weber. That'd be Day. hilarious. Yeah. That would be amazing. I'd love to be on Twitter for that if it happened, but I don't think it's going to happen. But no, like, no, it's not. No, but, but here's the thing. Like, in, in many ways, they're going to stay the course. Like, they're not blowing the team up. They're not going to make crazy moves. They're going to have to make moves, but they're not making crazy moves. You don't blow it up after something like this because this team's too, like, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't rob Peter to pay Paul, all these cliches. But it is now, it is downtown to brass tacks, if we're going to go with more cliches, because this team can win, but the demands on them to win are higher than ever before. There is now pressure in this market. We always joke that there's no pressure when you play in South Florida. Oh, there's pressure now. Like, the fans are going to be, like, they're going to come to games. They now have reason to come back, but the pressure's there. You Maybe know? That's, and good. that's good. Maybe that's good. Because I mean, I at this point, be because, because you know, it's think... coaching, it's it's you know, coaching to be prepared so they can take the pressure. Because the thing that you know they need to do is start shuffling out the people who can't take the pressure. Yeah, this is this is a this is going to be a pressure-packed season, 2022-23, and that's good because that's what good teams face every single like all these other good teams face pressure. Unless you are basically the lightning. At which point, you've already won your cups and the regular season doesn't matter anymore, or you are a team that is total garbage and is rebuilding, you are going to be under pressure in some way. It's different kinds of pressure. The Panthers, for a long time, faced internal pressure. And I think that that's what they faced in the last couple of years. But now there's going to actually be external pressure. There are going to be sports talk radio idiots who are going to start making you know, pronouncements and hot takes about Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberto, as happens in most other markets, and these are stupid. But this is the, the growing of South Florida and Miami and Broward County as a place where those expectations are now there all the time. And maybe that's a good thing. They didn't really face it. Certainly in the, in the short year, they didn't face it. And I don't think they really faced it this year because of what happened with Quenville, even though they botched that situation. And the fact that they were so good that all that pressure sort of went away because they played so free. They just did what they did, right? And it didn't look like anybody could stop them. But now they have that pressure, right? Tampa had that pressure in 1920. And when a bunch of teams didn't want to be in the bubble, they did. And they went out and won a cup, you know? When a bunch of teams did not want to be around in 2020-21, they went out and won a cup. You know, the Panthers now have to face that pressure. And as you said, I think it might be good for them. And the media coverage is going to, like, the way we talk about them is going to change. The way that even the nicest, yeah. you know, media, the most sympathetic media, that's going to change too. Because, you know, they, they, they see this the same way as we do. And I think the fan base sees it the same way. And it's the growing of the fan base to the point where now... Yeah, you can hold them to account and pressure. Because at times we've talked about, I didn't think Panthers fans knew what actually what it meant to be a winning franchise because they had never been a winning franchise. I think they're learning now, and I think we're all going to go through the points where yeah. we, we make those mistakes because, again, this isn't, you know, this isn't a market where it's on you all the time or a place where the expectations have already been set at the ceiling. You know, it's going to be a process, but it's a process that, it's a better process than being stuck at 86 points every regular season. I'd rather be here than the alternative. 
but that means that there are a different set of expectations, a different set of pressures that are going to be applied to them, and now it's on this franchise that has proven it can get to this point to take the next step, which is the hardest step of them all. I agree. I agree. Quickly on other um, playoff things, because I, I do want to talk about them, as, I, as much as I think it doesn't matter, Tampa's going to win. Um, looks like the Avs are finally going to break through. And again, they face the same crap the Panthers did for years about not winning in the playoffs. But I think one of the things they had, I mean, it helps that they played awful Nashville team and a St. Louis team that apparently got so wound up by Nazem Kadri that, you know, the entire fan base has decided to show their ass and be oh my. racists. I mean, I mean, St. Louis sports fans are notorious for racism. Yeah, oh, so this is not a, the best but, fan base in baseball. We know that. Yeah. But like, uh, so, I have to admit, I'm not the biggest Kadri fan in the world. Obviously, I think that, you know, his history is his history. But to see him score a hat trick in that game was awesome. Yeah. But the thing is, the incident in question, it's the blue player hitting Kadri into his own goalie that hurts him. The goalie they put in is Huso, who I think is better than Binnington anyway. Um, Although he so, hasn't played like it. Yeah, but whatever. Um, those things change pretty quickly. Um, True. And it's more about the team playing in front of them. And, you know, but, like, to respond to that with what they have done, especially David Perron, is the definition of chicken shit. And I cannot, like... I think that it's fine to play tough. I think it's fine to take take the, defending your teammates and everything in your own hands and not waiting for the refs who are notorious for being terrible at doing it for you. Um, but that's not how you go about doing it. Uh, that was – I got nothing. I mean, and they the, looked the proportional terrible response, in game four. They were yeah, awful. Because that's all they were thinking about. Yep. And And they didn't understand that – not only was that distracting them, it was giving the Avs so much bulletin board material as Kadri and others have said. A team that has had so many issues winning in this round in particular, and you give them the fuel that they need to win? When that, that team has already kind of skated rings around you in multiple games in that series, that's good on you, St. Louis. So, I mean, and that's good, like, good, good thinking. I mean, that's what a coach can do. He can say something stupid and take something away from his team, but he can also, you know, create bulletin board material from his team. You know, Tortorella, other coaches have been really good at doing that, provoking the other team, you know, you know, bringing some drama in. Where was that for Florida? You know, like it, Florida versus Tampa was so subdued and there was reason. Like how did Hagel not leave in a body bag? You know, like, come I on. Know, right. Oh, like, you should have been suspended for that hit. Probably. Like, and, and you knew it wasn't going to happen, and then it didn't happen. And then you had a game the next day where you could have done something about it, and it was nothing, man. And like that could, and then you're already down one. Maybe get your team going. And I'm not saying to just board him from behind or something, but you start, you start actually hitting him when he has the puck. You start getting in his face after the whistle, giving him you know, the face washes. I thought washes that series was going to be nasty and yeah. like last year, and it wasn't. And that, yeah. and, and and what have we seen in all these other series? There's nastiness. There's yeah. energy. Even as the Blues are getting boat Tampa raced. was nasty to them, and they didn't and do they didn't anything. Fight back. And, and they didn't fight back. It was so, so stupid. I, 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 think the Avs, I think the Avs are going to win this series, and they're finally going to break through. And it's not that yeah. they necessarily Avs, added players. And their only was, hope, 
they're our only hope because God forbid Connor McDavid at Edmonton wins the Stanley Cup. We'll never hear the end of it. Oh boy. Well, I have Carolina to say, can't win. We nope. hate the Rangers, and nope. I, then I guess Tampa again wouldn't be too bad. But oh, I don't want that. No, I don't think anybody wants a three-peat. I think it's going to happen. Um, the the Calgary-Edmonton series has been an absolute gong show. Like, it was Florida-Tampa last year. Jacob Markstrom turned into a pumpkin. He can't stop a beach ball. Mike Smith gives up one of the most hilarious Had, goals I've ever seen in the playoffs, and the Oilers still win. Well, for whatever reason, Edmonton's been able to play that, like, wide-open pond hockey stretch-it-out game, and they've gone Calgary to do the same thing. So when you're watching the highlights – it, you know, Markstrom's, yes, at the very end of the clip, getting burnt or beat or whatever. But in between that, you have, like, car lengths of room in between Calgary players, you know, whole... And this is a Daryl Sutter coach yeah, team. whole car lanes for Connor McDavid at full speed to drive through. You know, and it's Andrew ridiculous. Kane, yeah, so they're letting, them, they're letting them play that style and everything, and they're getting toast for it. So I don't know how much it is only on Markstrom, but he's definitely getting uh, it, the way Edmonton's playing and the way Calgary's I'm, I'm reacting. I'm stunned is, that, that yeah. the Oilers, a team that was getting, you know, pretty shut down at times by the Kings, is able to do this against a team that's much better than that in the Flames. I, I'm stunned that that series is going the it's, way it is. Well, Not because that every winning because se- McDavid's going Super Saiyan, but, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, sometimes it is like, you know, the matchup on paper works for the first two games, but then the matchup becomes like these who's responding the, better. Like the Flames scored nine in the first game in that series. You're like, boy. Yeah. Where, but where then, is this heading? But then it became, okay, well, if Calgary's scoring nine and wants to play it this way, then we ramp it up and play our game. And, they, and then Calgary couldn't respond. So then, the, you know, Calgary lost that initial advantage because – they, they haven't been able to figure out how to respond. So it, sometimes it's not just about the initial matchup and how teams fit against each other. It's, you know, after what happens and breaks loose in the first two games or three games, how does all of that, in, you know, attrition set in? How does... How your does, cat you know, definitely cat. agrees with you on your, on your Oilers take. I'm impressed. Uh, and, and the final thing is, is the Hurricanes and the Rangers. Neither of these teams are beating Tampa. It's just not happening. Um, the Rangers maybe have a better chance because they have a goalie who can maybe match Vasilevsky, but Carolina is actually having a worse power play time than the Panthers had, and that's saying something, and that's a team that, you know, should be good specialty teams. I, and you mentioned it in, when we talked about their first-round series, like how can they be that good if they look like crap on the road, and they do. Like these games against the Rangers on the road, they've looked arguably worse than Florida did. And I didn't think Florida played terribly in their road games against Tampa. Tampa was better, obviously. But but in every one of those road games, they've looked absolutely inept. And at home, they just have the matchups so they could shut you down. But, like, what, what do you think is the reason why that's happening with, with, uh, with, with, with Carolina? Because if Carolina wins, they're not beating Tampa. The Rangers, I think, have a better chance because of Shesterkin and they have a little bit more offense that they could pull out, well, even though Tampa would shut them down. You know, uh, I just think but... it's easier for teams. It's easier for teams to play Carolina because they rely so heavily on matchups. They rely so heavily um, on sco- on playing their game, scoring first. I mean, they just if they're 
with the Rangers, you have a team that can sit back and wait for the moments, capitalize on big momentum swings at home. That's amplified times three because of MSG. You know, they have the type of goalie who's going to keep them in every game to keep buying them a chance to pick up that power play goal or pick up that odd man rush goal at the end of a period to, 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 to put some energy into this, the series. Um, you know, so they it's the perfect team to play a team that sucks on the road is the Rangers, um, especially with a guy like Gallant behind the helm who knows who has a very good sense of what his players are, who they can do or, or what they can do. And, you know, he's been utilizing and leveraging Panarin perfectly. And, you know, that's that's all you kind of need to do when you have a team that like Carolina, who I don't, I think is overhyped. Um, well, I don't, I don't think they're year. as deep as they're considered just because I think their high end plays so well. And their defense has a couple really high end guys who log a lot of minutes. If they lose this series, which they could, what is the debate about Carolina then? If they lose this series, well, if they like, lose, what are, what are we talking? Because now, like the like, we think of it in the Panthers' mind uh, mindset, obviously. But like the Panthers have had a couple. Like I don't consider the bubble a playoff I, failure. Like they've had a couple of playoff. You know, obviously Tampa was what it was. But now the Hurricanes got steamrolled by Boston at the end in the bubble. It is what it is. Last year, Tampa absolutely sucked the life out of them, and then this year, with it being as favorable as it is, losing to the Rangers. Like yeah. what? What are we talking about with Carolina at this point? I think that they just let, leaned – well, first of all, we'd be a little happier if Calgary and Carolina lose. It makes the Florida Panthers look a little better. Um, like, it is that hard to get out of the second round for any good team. But for me, it would be they lent, they leaned too much into the jerk, the jerk brand. And they, they, tried to, they tried to be too much of a momentum team, too much of a – uh, the Rangers jerk them in this series, though. That's the, well, because I mean, I maybe not in the way I said it, but you know, yeah. But you know, they they're inviting that type of game, and you know, they they don't do it well because they they the guys that they you know, I mean, I think getting behind Tony D'Angelo is is a kiss of death. That, that, uh, that was that was a that was a choice, but also um, like you know, if but you I mean, can like, only do that at home when you have the matchups you want. You, then are you really able to do it? Well, you're 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 playing. A, you have to. You know, you have Kaka Niemi who's doing certain things, and and I think he's a fine player and everything. But you know, you, you you're cutting into your cap and everything to make a statement and be you know jerks about that and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, like the the, the it's it's really eating up a lot of parts of their identity and what they do as a hockey club. Will and I think because I wouldn't change how does, much. How is, how is that power play what it is? Like, because people don't be fundamentally understand that, you know, it's been a while since the power plays really have adapted. So all the penalty kills have now become much more aggressive much more power kills is what they're called. Well, there's, yeah, because Carolina is really you know, good there's, at that. Like, they popularized that. They've, flat, they've, they've kind of taken the check press um, penalty kill style and made it very offensive and adapted it to a better skating game. Um, and it, it's so, but the system still hasn't adapted to that. There should be like Carolina, Florida, a lot of these teams that are struggling the power play. 
They should be spending all off season learning how to do a reverse umbrella or, you know, play from behind the net, a behind the net uh, power play style. The only team that can win in the power play in the playoffs are, do you, do you have Kale McCarr? Yes. Okay, you're going to have a good power play. Do you have yeah. Connor McDavid? You're going to have a good power play. Well, or your Tampa. It's, 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 yeah, you either have to have like an Ovechkin or, a, you know, a traditional power play that operates at 30% on its own, you know, no matter what you do with it. Um, so then even if you get a good PK, it's still going to be scoring 18, 15% of the time. You're not going to be dead without it. Um, or, you know, you have a guy like McDavid or McCarr who can score right off the rush, who can just bring pucks in and, and score that way. So if you're not able to set up, you're, you don't get the mojo going that way. You're still scoring goals every once in a blue moon on the power play, which is enough to not have whatever happened to Florida, whatever has happened in the Carolina. I mean, you can see it gets in their head. They're bobbling pucks more. They're not connecting on passes more, you know. Uh, two minutes go by, they don't score on the power play. The next five minutes is trying to mentally come back from that for guys who don't even play on the power play. Um, it has that type of effect. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's ha- like I'm watching Carolina. I'm like, I'm seeing the Panthers in in their own way, but against a team that's not Tampa. Like the Rangers shouldn't be doing this to them, and yet they are. And I get they've got right. a goalie, but that's not Tampa. Like, Tampa is getting there blocking 40 shots a game in front of the best goalie we've seen since, you know, peak war, peak Hashtag or something like that. And Shesterk yes. is really good, but the Rangers are in front of them. The Rangers yeah. are in front of them. This is a this, this, For most of the regular season, the Rangers were a bad team bailed out by their goalie. And now, look at what's happening. Like, well, they are not playing Carolina as well, five on five, and it just, it, it's 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 there's the nows like but the Rangers have it that's the thing you people have to understand about the playoffs you don't have to be the better team to win no no and there's like look at game three tampa came in they got up two games they went home to game three they knew they were going to have terrible ice so what did they do they over flooded the ice and they just turned it into a, a uh, just a completely chipped ground out game. So it didn't matter. They turned it into a ball hockey game. It didn't matter how, like, if they if the Panthers came in high flying, ready to go and play their style of game, it wouldn't have worked. You know, like they they just it's it's a very they, Doug McLean move of them. You know, like there there are teams that they know how to suck the life out of a period, how to lull you into a, a, a sleep, and then take advantage of you. Um, and you know, the New York Rangers and Gallant is good at that. And Uh, Tampa is the best team we've seen in decades at doing that. Yeah. And and that's why, that's why I'm saying Tampa, Tampa's win the cup, man, man, it stinks, but Tampa's going to win the cup. I I don't know. I think Colorado does have a shot. Yeah. I I uh, wouldn't, I I mean, we got to see, you know, about point. We got to see if there's a, who. Oh, I don't. If, I there's don't, still some more injuries to come for both sides, probably Colorado I mean, and Tampa. I, I mean, I, I think I think it's Col. I mean, I I predicted it's Colorado Tampa. So I mean, hey, I, if it's Colorado early, Tampa man. in the uh, in too the uh, in the cup final, I might make some money in my too, in my playoff pool. Too early, yeah. I mean, but too early because we saw, you know, sometimes you get woken up being bad. Maybe Carolina gets woken up. And they find, and if they can oh, find I their way, was going to happen with the Panthers, and boy, but, did it not! So I, I know, but that's you can't just trust that just you know one thing's going to happen. You have to leave both possible 
possibilities open. I mean, it, it, I think that it's likely Tampa or Colorado win the cup, but Edmonton, you know, some Oilers because they have McDavid and the Rangers because they have. Shisterkin. I'm still not counting out the Blues. I mean, the Blues could come back, win this game. You know, McCarr gets hurt and things could be totally eh, different. I don't know about that. Um, I'm not. I'm not know. particularly. I mean, I get yeah, a lot of things could happen, but I'm not sure about but, that. But um, that's how that's how that's how I mean that's how the Carolina Hurricanes won their cup is because the goalie got hurt in Edmonton. Well. On, yeah, on the Edmonton, hurt miracle Edmonton. run that's, that's that what... happened because Patrick Stefan missed an empty net that you, you never would say would happen. You just oh that would never happen. So there's so many of never happens, you know. Barkov literally being one sixteenth of an inch to the right on the post, so it's a, a, so they don't take the lead when it's tied, and then you know two minutes later Tampa takes the lead. That's oh, huge. Well, I mean Carter Verhage hitting every single part of the goal except exactly. the net. And you was Jeez. how many you know. So, yeah, I know. It's I don't don't resign yourself to a Tampa dynasty yet. They already are a dynasty, but I am resigning myself to it because that's how this works. But in case I need to be to uh, think about um, uh, good things in sports, Arsenal get battered everywhere they go, and Tottenham made the Champions League. It's awesome, and they're going to invest a lot of money. Let's go. to be disappointed next year as I watch Jose Mourinho maybe win the Europa Conference League, which I just call Soccer CBI. Anyway, that's going to be it for this marathon show. We'll, I'm going to have somebody else on, whether it be Jack Hunt or somebody uh, following the Panthers to talk about more about what happened. And I'm going to have a piece out on the Substack now that we got that Substack issue worked out where I write a little more again about what I saw, what I think is going to have to happen, and... It's going to be a lot of what we talked about here, but in more condensed, like 1,200 words, as opposed to an hour and 45-minute podcast. But that's all right. And then, again, keep your eyes peeled because we'll keep going throughout the uh, playoffs. We'll have draft stuff coming later. We're not Just because the Panthers don't have picks in the first two rounds doesn't mean that there isn't still a lot of interesting draft stuff to talk about. I mean, the Flyers are having, have a top-five pick, and Tommy loves the draft. And as he told me, his birthday is the same day as the second day of the draft, so that'll be one of the best days for him, and I'm, I'm happy for him. He needs it. So keep your eyes peeled on all that. Uh, we will, we're not going anywhere, even if the Panthers are sadly gone and we should have been watching a game five tonight. But uh, if you can feel the feelings of good night and good hockey, I hope you can, even after what happened. But you still will be able to because there's more to come. How about life goes on? How about you've seen much worse from the Florida Panthers than losing in the second round of the Lightning? You can deal with this.